Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, President of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Let me uh, extend my greetings uh, to you also this morning and what a joy it is to have all of you here to celebrate this great uh, milestone in the lives of these men and women. Uh, I want them to know that I have counted it and do count it a great honor uh, to have been here during the time that you were at Southeastern and uh, I thank God for you. Uh, I'm so very proud of each of you and very excited about what uh, I believe God has in store for you in the days ahead as you serve uh, our King Jesus. This morning, I want to challenge these graduates, but also all of us, uh, from a text that I have given the title, The Ultimate Win-Win Scenario. Uh, If I had a life verse, it would be this particular verse. In fact, every time I'm asked to sign a Bible, uh, I will always put this scripture beneath my signature. On my best days, it is what would be the heartbeat of my life and the very passion uh, of my existence. In fact, I suspect that if we were to have the joy of interviewing the Apostle Paul, and we were to say, Paul, just curious, did you ever have a life verse? I mean, all the things you wrote, was there one verse in particular that stood out? Uh, Maybe one verse in particular that captured your life philosophy. And I think if we had Paul before us, uh, the odds would be that he would say, well, yes, I did. And uh, it's only 12 words in your English Bible, and it is found in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It's really quite remarkable that that's what Paul said and what Paul wrote, because as you have learned in your studies here, when Paul penned Philippians, he was in prison. He did not know what the future would be. Would he be released or would he be executed, which we, of course, know was eventually the fate that the Lord had for him. But Paul would say, regardless of the future, whether in life or death, it's all about Christ. It is all about Jesus. So to those of you that are graduating today, I pray that this might become something of a life verse for you. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, whether in life or in death, it is my prayer for you that will be all about Jesus, that you will live for Jesus, you will die for Jesus, and you will experience the ultimate win-win scenario. But what is my prayer for you is also my prayer for this entire congregation today, for those who are family and those who are friends that are gathered to celebrate this great day. In the same vein, I pray that prayer for you, that you will live for Christ and you will live to know and experience life in Christ as God intended, and that when the day comes for you to die, death will not actually be an enemy. But rather, death will be a very, very good friend. For to die in Christ is gain. 
Basically, there are two simple truths that I believe this text affirms for us this morning that, again, is my prayer for you as well as those who are here today who love you and have come to celebrate this day. The first truth is simply this. There is a life worth living. And the second truth, there is a death worth having. There is a life worth living and there is a death worth having. There is a life worth living. Maltby Badcock, who wrote the song, This Is My Father's World, said, and I quote, Life is what we are alive to. In other words, what moves you, what excites you, what turns you on is what you are alive to and what you are living for. Well, for Paul, it was a simple uh, response to such a question. For Paul, it was Christ. For Paul, it was to show that Jesus is awesome, magnificent, great, unsurpassable. There is no one like Jesus. And of course, we have to answer that question. What will it be for me? What will it be for you in your ministry? What will it be that is the driving uh, engine in your life? Paul says there is a life worth living. Now, Paul breaks it down and gives us three insights into this life that is worth living. He says, first of all, it's personal. He begins the verse by saying, for to me. The great Greek scholar A.T. Robertson noted that the personal pronoun is in the emphatic position here. To me. Uh, to me. In other words, this is what life means to me, regardless of what it means to others. This is how I govern my life. For me, this is what life is all about. Others may chart a different course. They may choose a different path. They may have a different organizing principle that determines their life's decisions. But for, for to me, to me, I have made a clear, definite decision what life is going to be. And again, the fact is all of us will do this. All of us must make a personal decision as to what will be the governing principle and guiding light in your life. There is a life worth living, and it is a personal reality. But secondly, it's a practical reality for to me to live. In other words, Paul would say, contrary to what some people think, the Christian life is really a very practical thing. Uh, the Christian life is actually a life philosophy. Uh, even yesterday, as we were celebrating uh, the rehearsal and having the reception, a sweet couple was over at the house, and we talked for a little while, and they once more asked me kind of a life philosophy question when it comes to parenting. And I don't claim to be an expert here. We flew by the seat of our pants for about 20 years, did, like many of you, the best we can, and then prayed a lot and gave it to God, and that's pretty much what parenting is all about. But uh, the question was raised, well, was there anything fundamental that uh, kind of guided you? And I said, well, really, just two things. Number one, we try to teach our sons to love Jesus. And secondly, just to have fun. You say, love Jesus, have fun. That doesn't go together. It goes together perfectly. It goes together perfectly. There's nothing more fun, more joyful than serving Jesus. And the fact of the matter is, serving Jesus is a very practical thing. You see, life is not just marking time. It's not just punching a clock. No, real life has meaning. Real life has purpose. And Paul believed that real life could be found, but it was found only in Jesus. Jesus himself said in John chapter 11 and verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. 
And in John 14, 6, again, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Of course, we live in a day where people find that statement offensive. Uh, They want to argue that there are many ways to God, that there are many paths that will lead to heaven. And they get upset with some of us who speak of what we call the exclusivity of the gospel. But the fact of the matter is, their problem is not with me. It's not with this faculty. It's not even with you all. Uh, Their problem is with Jesus. Jesus is the one who said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Now, either he is right or he is wrong. But I'll tell you this. If God indeed raised him from the dead and he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he's right. He's right. And you may not like it. You may disagree with it. But your problem ultimately is not with any of us. Your problem is with Jesus. You see, brothers and sisters and friends, life is a one-shot deal. You only go around once in life. It is a 24-7 occupation while it lasts. It's a day-to-day reality with ups and downs, good times, bad times. You'll make good decisions. You'll make bad decisions that affect everyday life. But life is a very practical, real thing, especially for those who follow Jesus. And so Paul says, look, there's a life worth living. It's very personal. It's to me. It's very practical. It is to live. But he says, thirdly, it is a powerful reality, for to me, to live is Christ. Now, remove that last word for just a moment. And truthfully and honestly, fill in the blank. For me, to live is blank. And fill it in and be honest this morning. For Paul, he would say there was only one thing. No, for Paul, there was only one person. And that person was Christ. Paul would say, I live for Christ. I live to serve Christ. No secrets from him. No locked doors for him. No area of my life is off limits to Jesus. You will never read a no trespassing sign put in the face of Jesus when it comes to my life. He died for you. He was raised for you. He has the right to dictate every single area of your life. Where you go, what you do is not up to you. It is all up to Jesus. Now, I'll tell you something, graduates. It simplifies life. It simplifies life when you just say, all that I am, all that I'm going to be, all that I ever will be is all in Jesus' hands. That's why Paul could also say in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And again, in a verse very similar, at least in thrust, to Philippians 1.21, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and gave himself for me. Paul would say, Jesus Christ has so taken uh, possession of my life. He is so much the authority in my life. I cannot even separate my identity from Jesus Christ. Life means Christ. And to go on living means more of Jesus. Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf. That great German Moravian who in many ways is the father of the Protestant missions movement, said this, I have but one enthusiasm. It is Christ, and only Christ. 
And you might say this morning, well, Danny, why is this such a powerful reality? Paul answers that question later in Philippians when he says in chapter 4 and verse 13, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There is a life worth living. But now secondly, there's a death worth having. That is so contrary to the way our world thinks today. That is so contrary to the secular mind. But the Bible says, oh no, there is a death worth dying. You see, Paul was not afraid of life and Paul was not afraid of death. Either way, he was confident in Christ. Either way, he had one ambition, that it would bring glory to Christ. That's why, again, he could say in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And for the Christian, death is simply more of Jesus. John Piper says it so very well, experiencing Christ as gain in your dying magnifies Christ. It is the essence of worship in the hour of death. Why? Because I gain Him. Now, Paul makes two observations about what it means to experience a death that is worth dying. He says, first of all, never forget, death is inevitable. Death is inevitable. For to me to live is Christ and to die. Hebrews 9, 27 reminds us it is appointed for men to die once. And after this, judgment. So please hear me this morning. If you've tuned me out for a few moments, please tune back in for just a moment and hear what I'm about to say. And please hear me as saying these things out of a heart of love and compassion and hope and and desire for goodness in your life. You will die. You will die. If Jesus tarries his coming, everyone in this room, we will die. It is going to happen. The fact is, you and I can cheat many things in this life, but no one except Jesus cheats death. You see, the Grim Reaper has your number. Oh, he does. He's got a date. He's got an hour. He's got a minute. And he's got a second when he will come calling on you. And when he does, try as you might, you will not be able to turn him away. And so Paul's point is becoming clear, isn't it? Living for anything other than Christ would change that last verse. And you would have to say, and to die is loss. But Paul says, remember... Death is inevitable. But, and this is what's so glorious about the Christian gospel, death can be profitable. Because he concludes this verse, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Now, once more, remove the last word. Truthfully and honestly, fill in the blank for you today. And let's just go back and just kind of paint some scenarios that, again, are not win-win but in every instance is lose-lose. For me to live is money, and to die is to leave it all behind. For me to live is fame, and to die is one day to be forgotten. For me to live is power, and to die is to be impotent. For me to live is sex, and to die is to experience loneliness. For me to live is a career, and to die is to be eternally unemployed. 
something to think about. Some of us are already getting a head start on this with our economy, but hopefully that will come back around. For me to live is sports, and to die is eternal retirement. For me to live is food, and to die is to die without the bread of life. For me to live is to travel, and to die is to go nowhere worth going. For me to live is TV, and to die is the loss of entertainment. I have a friend that's an agnostic. His name is Mike Bryan. He wrote a wonderful book several years ago giving an actually honest evaluation of evangelicals. He's still an unbeliever. I can't say it exactly like he said for fear of offending, but in one of his chapters, when he gets to the end, he says, bottom line for me as a secular agnostic on my way to atheism, life is a blank and then you die. Life is a blank. Life is a dog but you flip the word, and then you die. He said, look, if this life is all there is, then life has no meaning. Death has no attraction. And when you think about it, with all that transpires, life then is nothing more than a dog. And then you die. In contrast, As he reached the end of his life, the Apostle John would sit down and pen these words in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. Beloved, we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we do know this. When we are revealed, when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And so John would join Paul and say, look, death is not my enemy. Oh, no. Death is my friend. Death is my escort into the very presence of Jesus. And therefore, he could say with Paul, Christ is gain in life and Christ will be gain in death. Why? How do I know? Because 2 Corinthians 5, 8 tells us, yes, we are well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be just like that in the presence of the Lord. So let me ask you as I move to conclude, what is your life? And what will be your death? For the servant of Christ, the child of God, life is Christ and death is more of Christ. I never thought about it that way until I was preparing this message. But life is Christ and death is more of Christ. That's why it is a win-win scenario with the second win actually being better than the first one. Yes, to live is Christ, but to die is more of Jesus. So those of us who have come to embrace this wonderful truth, we can join with many who have gone before us, including many of the martyrs like Paul and like the great Bill Wallace who was brutally murdered by the communist Chinese and later on his tombstone was placed the words, for me to live is Christ. And so if we could bring them before us today, we would hear them say gladly and enthusiastically, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Christ is more than life. 
Christ is worth more than falling in love. Christ is more than marrying and having children. Christ is worth more than seeing my children grow up and become independent. Christ is more than making a name for myself. Christ is worth more than finishing my career. Christ is worth more than the dream spouse or the dream house or the dream cruise or the dream retirement. Christ is worth more than all my unfinished plans and dreams. And particularly for you all today, Christ is worth more than a popular ministry and a comfortable situation in a church. Indeed, it is better to be cut off in the midst of all my dreams that I might gain Christ. So, precious friend, listen to me. Just as there is the ultimate win-win scenario... There's also the ultimate lose-lose scenario, too. Because for life to be anything other than Jesus is for death to be loss. Not just a loss now, but a loss forever. But the good news is this. It does not have to be that way for any one of us who is here today. Yesterday, as I always do, I ask these graduates, I'm just curious, will any of you have family or friends here in the service tomorrow that you know they're lost? You know they've never received Jesus as their Savior, and a large number of hands went up. And so we prayed, and then I made a promise to them, and my promise was this, tomorrow to the best of my ability, I will present the gospel, and I'll invite those that you love so much that you would gladly surrender your degree for their salvation. I will challenge them to make the ultimate win-win scenario decision and to receive Christ as their Savior. So I want to ask all of us for just a moment to bow our head and close our eyes. And this morning, from this very simple but powerful verse, I invite you to examine your heart and simply fill in the blank. For me to live is what? And if it's anything other than Jesus, you've made a bad decision. You've made the wrong call. And to die will not be gain, but to die will be eternal loss and eternal tragedy. But it does not have to be that way. Jesus Christ loves you. Jesus Christ came to this world and lived a sinless, perfect life and then died on the cross in your place, accepting the penalty of death for you, that you might receive the free gift of eternal life made possible through his glorious resurrection. You say, Danny, I recognize that I have been living for the wrong things and I'm not only anticipating loss when I die, but I've experienced a lot of loss in this life. And you're telling me he can change all that? The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away and everything becomes new. You say, then how do I experience that? I'm going to voice a prayer. And this morning, if you're here and you recognize right now in this very surprising moment, you didn't anticipate this, that you recognize my great need in life is for Jesus. I can promise you this. If you will pray this prayer after me from your heart,
in faith on the authority of the Word of God, I can promise you that He will hear your prayer and He will save you because the Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So pray this prayer with me right now, right there in the privacy of your own heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me. And I thank you that you came into this world and that you died in my place for my sins. I acknowledge I am a sinner. I need to be saved. And this morning, I put my faith and my trust totally and completely in you. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for sinners. I believe God raised you from the dead. And I believe you will save me if I ask. And I am asking. And I thank you that you are indeed a God who keeps his word. And I thank you that when I leave today, I'll be celebrating this graduate that I love so much. But even more, I'll be celebrating my new life in Jesus. I thank you that from this moment forward and for the rest of my life, I will be saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. I pray this in your name. Amen. Now look at me. If you prayed that prayer just a moment ago, I promise you on the authority of God's Word, He heard and He has saved. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. When we leave in just a little while, it will not be long, and you see that graduate that you came here today to honor, you give them a big hug, you congratulate them, and then you say, and by the way, when Danny prayed that prayer, I prayed with him. God saved me. I'm now your brother or your sister in the Lord. And I promise you this, you'll see a smile on their face because they've graduated. You'll not be able to contain the smile you'll see on their face when they hear that you've received the Lord today as your Savior. That's what we're all about, seeing people come to Jesus. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.